This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program for the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. My name is Nicholas Meyer, director of Star Trek 2 and 6, and you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM. Risk is our business. It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics. Now in standard orbit, sir. Welcome, everyone, to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm your host, Zach Moore, and Merry Christmas, everyone. This episode is going to drop on Christmas Eve, and I thought it'd be a great time to talk about uh, the toys of Star Trek and the toys that made us with Mr. John Tenuto. How's it going, John? Hi, how you doing, Zach? Great. Uh, welcome back to Standard Orbit. You're usually here to talk about Star Trek II and Khan and things like that, but we have a whole new angle to talk to you about because you were recently on the Toys That Made Us documentary about Star Trek toys. Yeah, we're the, the, we call them collectibles. This way I don't that's why I feel like I'm still talking about con. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. Oh boy, that's a good one. So, you know, being Christmas and all, uh, you know, I just want to kind of start out by saying you know, asking you really, uh, do you, do you, are there any like great Star Trek presents that you remember that you received over the years? Like do you have a favorite cuz I'm sure being Trekkies, you know, we receive gift after gift of Star Trek-related things, but are there some that kind of really stick out to you as, like, this is the best Star Trek present I ever received? Well, it's funny, because I think, uh, I don't think there's been a Christmas in my memory that I didn't get uh, Star Wars and Star Trek toys. Um, exactly. Really, every Christmas, well, at least the Star Wars when I was about 10 or so, I remember some Christmases before that, but Star Trek uh, toys have kind of always been there uh, to my memory with uh, with Christmas. I remember my wife when we were first married 20 years ago trying to find the, the Playmates 12-inch uh, action figures for me for Christmas, and uh, that was sort of a fun, you know, fun to see what I was going to get and if I was going to get it, and the whole family kind of pitching in trying to find them. But I think that my favorite um, is uh, goes all the way back to 1975, and it was really the first uh, Star Trek toy I ever got and uh, it sort of started the whole thing and that was um, my mom had gone to the uh, in Chicago there was uh, of course regionally a lot of people know nationally people probably remember Montgomery Wards uh, but uh, Chicago had something called the Montgomery Wards bargain basement which was on Chicago Avenue a couple of miles down from our house and my mom would take the bus and go down there and it was basically like um, a uh, I guess you would call it a, a not a second hand, but kind of a discount, you know, a discount store before there was a discount store. And it was where Walmart would put uh, their slightly damaged or older products. And um, uh, there were some 
there was uh, the Amigo 1975 mm-hmm. uh, playset, and it had a slightly damaged box. So my mom got it for me, and um, and that way that it was also the sort of there was a special edition release that included uh, some of the figures, and that's the one that I got, ah. and uh, that that began my whole. Uh, fascination with uh, both Star Trek toys and really boosted up my interest in, in Star Trek other than just sort of like, what is this kind of show or colorful show that I was watching as a, a young kid on TV. It's funny you mentioned the Mego bridge playset, which was just one of those classic playsets that you see. And I've seen that around, you know, at comic book stores, usually comic book stores, they know what's up. So it, it's priced kind of high, but uh, n- not too long ago, I was actually in, in Austin and uh, Texas and they have a, a museum there called the museum of the weird, just a cool kind of kitschy place. And they, they had one of these there. And I was like, Oh boy, I bet they don't know what this is. I bet I can get a deal on this, you know. And I asked them like, "Oh, no, that's going to be about three fifty. I'm like, "Okay, never mind. Thank you. <laughs> you guys know what's they up. I thought idea, I might, huh? yeah, <laughs> I thought I might have a have the Trek knowledge on them, but but they got me. But uh, but you know, similarly, you talk about the uh, the TOS bridge. You know, I, I, to me, uh, I, I'm going to have to say that the TNG bridge. You know, because I'm from a younger generation, so the Playmates mm-hmm. toys were kind of in the heyday for me. And and uh, I remember one Christmas when uh, my parents got that for me. That was just the coolest thing in the world uh, because you had, you know, the, the, the Playmates did so well. well. We'll talk about them as we get into our conversation here. But they, they created so many toys. And to me, the, the bridge set was like the ultimate one because you had, it was so like screen accurate and they had sound effects and the doors open and close and you had places for all the characters you had collected up to that point to put in there and act out the episode. So yeah, these play sets, man, they're, they're the ones that really stick with you, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, to me, I think the greatest uh, playset uh, when I was, I mean, I had a couple favorites when I was a kid. One was the Planet of the Apes Treehouse, and, and another one, of course, I think the granddaddy of all was the, the Death Star playset. But, mm. um, I, you know, I was a little bit older when, when Next Gen was on, but I'm still, of course, still collecting the toys. And I'll tell you, when I got that TNG Bridge playset from Playmates, it really was like, uh, you know, it was, it was so amazing because it was, it was literally perfect i mean it was it was there were there was very little in there where you'd go i mean it looked like they took the set and shrunk it down it was incredible absolutely yeah it totally and 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 when they actually made generations when they made the engineering set they actually made it like a connector so you could connect the two together not that it's like enterprise accurate because we know engineering is way down on deck 36 (laughs) but it was cool that they had the forethought to like connect these play sets and and then of course they had the transporter which was so cool but well I'm getting ahead of myself here, right? Playmates they did a great <laughs> job in the '90s, but but yeah. So, so so let's go let's go back to 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 the beginning here. So for you, you're already a Star Trek fan. You started collecting toys, as you said. This kind of jump started your your collection, as it were. And so, how did you become involved with the toys that made us when they started to, to do these documentaries on toys? They you know obviously they started with Star Wars and they went from there. And Star Trek was in their in their second season of documentaries mm-hmm. uh, on the history of toys and how they they've evolved over the years and impacted our pop culture. So how did you get involved with being part? of the toys that made us documentary well they did uh you know we had um uh, my wife maria jose and i had done uh, a, a bunch of talks around the country uh and, and, and even in canada we were invited to vulcan canada hmm. uh to do some talks some of it sometimes about the making of star trek and we, we really have that um desire and goal to spread the word about the behind the scenes artists and and uh, you know everyone from nicholas meyer to Gain Rescher and all the greats who who worked behind the scenes on Star Trek and and sometimes get credit and sometimes you know just get a credit and not people aren't really sure what they did or or their story hasn't been told so we we were doing a lot of talks about that and uh, going to 
you know, the official convention in New York. We were asked to do that, and we did we did some of the creation conventions and and just uh, you know the St. Louis Science Center and all these different places. And we were giving these talks, and you know, we we were being brought to these places, and we were kind of like, well, you know, instead of just talking about that, why don't we talk about something else too? So we would all, you know, all, all, all often say, well, you know, hey, how about a collectibles talk? And we would we would throw that in. And um, so we started to do talks on the history of Star Trek and for creation uh, entertainment, we started to do really a talk a year on each of the, you know, we did one on the original show and next gen and, and that sort of thing and, and focusing on the toys and connecting them to episodes because sometimes the toys wind up in episodes um, as part of this, the making of uh, process, but also really starting to understand and appreciate the behind the scenes people who make the toys and their stories. And so uh, we started to tell those and that got, I think that might've got a little bit of their attention. And also we were friends with um, Russell Myers, who also appears in the Star Trek um, episode. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think they were looking for people and our name kind of got to them through, through Russell and through others. And um, they came to our house uh, about a year before the show aired and, and they filmed all day they were here almost 12 hours and we filmed um the star trek part and the star wars part um uh-huh. both on the same day and uh you could tell because i'm wearing the same clothes in both episodes. <laughs> the, I didn't, I didn't the magic of television production right <laughs> yeah 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 and um but uh so they filmed mary joe and i and we talked about uh you know the history of star trek toys and we had done some consulting with them too before they came to to kind of lay out like what was the history of the star trek toys and the producer of the show brian uh, Volk uh, Weiss, who is a huge, uh, huge, huge Star Trek fan. I mean, he he owns, you know, one of the Wesley, Galo- you know, Galoob Wesleys. Oh, I mean, he's a that's really, the yeah, Holy he's, Grail. He's a, I love, I love, I, Galoob, yeah, I, Galoob is my, is like the ones that I try to collect. I'm like, one day, I want to get a Galoob yeah. Wesley. Yeah, I mean, he's really one. He's one of us. I mean, he's he was he did this show as as really out of a love for for toys and all the toys that mm-hmm. we all kind of grew up playing with. And so, you know, a lot of people questioned why they did a Star Trek episode, considering that there are all these other sort of bigger toy lines out there. And I think Brian knew that that there was much more to this, both the story and to Star Trek collectibles than people really realized, and, and to the toys specifically. And um, so that's how the episode wound up getting made. It was a, it was a great deal of fun and. and uh, you know, it was neat to see, you know, we've been in a few other documentaries. Some of them were, you know, lower budget and things like that. So it's kind of weird to be in a, you know, they were doing the whole thing where they, they recorded the sound of the room quietly so they could get, take away our us. So they made me sound a lot smarter than I actually am <laughs> by taking good. out my, editing out my mistakes. And so that was nice of them. Uh, I was going to ask you if they filmed that at your, at you guys house with your own collection behind you. So that, that's awesome. I, I suspected that might've been the case, but that's great. Yeah, it was one of the, 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 I think their missions in the show was to show people in their, in whatever their environment is. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, when they were talking to the lawyer from Star Wars, who's kind of in a lawyerly environment and really, you know, in, within the world that people lived in. And, um, and so for us, it made sense that that was kind of weird. I mean, we, we thought about doing it in the classroom, but, uh, really that sort of spoke more, I think, to what, what, what we were talking about in the episode. Now, when when you were handling items and whatnot, those were parts of your collection. Yeah, everything you see that we were we were sort of holding up and demonstrating in both of the episodes were um, were just items from you know from that either we were we were given as gifts from people or that we collected from ourselves. Mm-hmm. But so they're all sort of on display in our collection. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Well, speaking of, you're talking about the, the the history, like the more more to it than people might think. You know, let's start with you know the first the first Star Trek toys. You know, back that contemporary to the original series, and you know some of my favorites that stick out is, and we got to talk about it, right? The Spock helmet. Right, like this. This comes from the brand or the lack of branding at the time when you could just slap Star Trek on anything, you know. And it's like here's a Star Trek gun, and it says Star Trek, and kind of speak to that if you will about that era of the toys. Yeah, you know the very first uh, Star Trek collectibles, actually, I mean the toys. If we think of toys, right. uh, you know, beyond just collectibles like books or things like that, but just the toys, really start appearing right away. Uh, there, there are. There's a company. Um, that was called Rayline, and they were a rack toy company. Those are the kinds of toys, if people are unfamiliar with that, you're in the grocery store and they're hanging literally on a rack and they're meant to be impulse purchases. So they were like, you know, a dollar, dollar fifty, something like that. And uh, Rayline was one of these companies. And in 1966, they started making Star Trek, what they called uh, tracer guns. So basically they look, they look nothing like phasers. Um, they look like guns, regular guns, and they had little discs and you could buy the discs separately and the discs came with, also came with, um, they were called jet discs and they came with the gun and you put it in there and you could fire these, these sort of plastic discs out and, um, from your pistol. And, you know, you could just take that gun and they just painted it different colors and put different labels on it and backgrounds on it. So the, the backgrounds are really great. I mean, the, the, uh, the carding and the packaging is really nice. It has Kirk and Spock on there and, right. you know, it says TV Star Trek and all that, but it's, uh, you know, you could, you could also take that <laughs> swap on any TV show. And that was one of the big, uh, themes that you see at the very start of Star Trek collectibles uh, and toys was, what they call label swap, uh, swapping, where they would just take already existing toy lines, swap labels, uh, put them on there. I mean that that goes through that that happens in the Star Wars line as well. It was yeah. very common in the toy industry, and um, so the Spock helmet, which is a great example of that. There's sort of, there's really there's sort of two Star Trek helmets, and some people may be not familiar with that, but there was a helmet. The famous one I think that most people think of is the one where you can write, you can use the stickers in there to either put Kirk's name or Spock's mm-hmm. name or your own name on the helmet. And it's got, you know, it's white and it sort of resembles in a very, very loose way the helmets worn by the guards in uh, Patterns of Force, you know, but it was not based on that. And I don't think they were thinking of that when they made it. And it has like a red emergency light. Yeah, the light at the top is really truly the cherry on top of this absurd toy. (laughs) Yeah, and so that was, you know, that was made in in the 1970s by a company named Enco. Mm -hmm. But there was actually a helmet that precedes that made in the 19, uh, in the 1960s uh, for a line called the Hamilton Invaders. And a lot of the early Star Trek toys were actually Hamilton Invader toys that were rebranded and, um, and label slapped. So there was a company uh, that was called uh, Remco. And what Remco did was Remco took, um, it would eventually be, uh, Remco would be, um, become uh, acquired by a company called Azrak Hamway, which was also a rack toy company. So Azrak Hamway, Remco, it's all kind of the same company by the 70s. But initially, Remco was standing on its own, and it had a license for Star Trek toys. And what they did was they took this Hamilton Invader line, which was about this, this, these basically bugs from outer space, mm-hmm. was an original toy line that they created. And, and it was... Uh, 
you know, uh, they had like a tank and a helicopter. And the idea was like they, these big bugs come to earth and, and uh, humans have to fight back against them. So they took these toys and then they would just put the word Astro in front of it <laughs> and put Star Trek on the packaging and Star Trek stickers on the products and change the color of them. So you would get Astro, Star Trek Astro Tank, you know, Star Trek Astrocopter. And it was nothing that had anything to do with Star Trek. Um, but they were the first Star Trek toys. And there was something called a Astro Helmet. Okay. which looks like a, a bee's helmet, kind of like an insect helmet. And it was originally part of the Hamilton Invaders line, and it was sort of a gray-bluish kind of color. And they made it yellow, and they stuck a Star Trek sticker on it. And it's just as outrageous as the helmet with the with the light on top of it. I mean, it's crazy. It's got the big bug eyes. So when you wear it, it like goes over your face, and the big oh, wow. bug eyes... You know, yellow bug eyes are in front of your eye. I mean, you look like a bumblebee when you wear this thing. And of course, there's just no place in Star Trek that, that I mean, <laughs> at least the at least the Spock helmet one, you know, that people call the Spock helmet because the packaging has Spock's name on it. Right. Um, uh, at least the Spock helmet one, you know, you could, you know, squint your eyes and take your contacts out and you sort of think that it's from Patterns of Force. This thing just it looks like like out of a 1940s, you know, movie serial. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's how a lot of the original collectibles were. A lot of the toys were redos, relabels of already existing, very cheap um, toys. And now, of course, they go for several hundred dollars each. Yeah, <laughs> the circle of life in the toy industry. That's for right. sure. So yeah. some some of my favorites, though, and, and I saw some of these. This is the best cosplay I'd ever, I've ever seen. I just had to applaud them. Right? I was at Star Trek Las Vegas this past year. Actually, rented you there. We talked some there. I was there, and mm-hmm. there were some people dressed up as the Mego figures, but the Mego Mugatu and the Mego Gorn. And I thought this is the most brilliant cosplay I've ever seen because you, it's really inside baseball. You have to have to know what they're doing to even make sense of it all. But the, the Mugatu is like, okay, I, I it looks like the like we're talking about the Mego toys now, the Mego lions, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's become this, you know, this, this thing in, in, in fandom, and that's why people dressed up as it. And the Mugatu, it looks like the Mugatu, but it's wearing clothes for some reason, which is an interesting choice. Uh, so you could just, I guess, take the shirt off. It could still kind of be the Bugatu, but, but the Gorn, the Gorn is, is a travesty. And, and, for yeah. long, but before I saw the documentary, I wasn't sure. I always assumed they just like put a T-Rex head on, on it, on a, on a, mm-hmm. on a Klingon body, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Isn't it, John? Mego's Gorn. Yeah. They, you know, that was part of the, um, the, you know, the very first figures uh, from from the company come out in 1974, and they're sort of the big figures: Kirk, Spock, you know, McCoy, that kind of thing. Scotty misspelled wrong, you know, uh, and uh, the Klingon. So the Klingon was sort of there, and even the Klingon has sort of Plan of the Ape vibe to it. There's mm-hmm. some uh, Plan of the Ape uh, gorilla action figure elements to it, but it looked close enough that it was okay. Um, so when in 1975, the, those figures sold incredibly well, um, more than $10 million for a $5,000 license. That's all that wow. they paid for Amigo initially. And so they wanted to release more figures. So they came out with like this aliens line the next year. 
and it included uh, uh, a Sharon who was really uh, Beale from uh, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. There was but, a Neptunian. But, yeah, and they have they have his clothes are also bifunctory or however whatever the word is, right? Half white, half, yeah, half black. Yeah, <laughs> right. Which doesn't yeah, which he does not have in the show, right? No. And then um, and then they have the Neptunian who is very loosely based on the uh, the Ambergrace element, but that's again stretching it. Uh, there's the Keeper, which I guess we'll talk about later. There's mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, you know, then there's of course the Gorn, and so this Gorn figure just resembles the Gorn in no way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, you know, except that it kind of looks like a, a, a lizard. It's in a, a bipedal way, lizard. It really, that it is the only like a dinosaur. Point. Yeah, yeah. It looks so, more like a dinosaur than. But anyway, so it's what they did was to save money. Uh, they took the lizard action figure from Spider-Man. And they painted him brown, which makes no sense they, because the Gorn is green and the lizard was green. They they could have saved money in paint by not painting it, right? Yeah, it's just it, it doesn't make any sense. Except that they needed to match it to the body they used, which was the Planet of the Apes figure's body. Yeah. So I guess maybe their view is it was cheaper to paint the head than the whole body. Maybe I guess mm-hmm. that's what their thinking was. But yeah, it makes no sense. And so uh, you get a, you get uh, the Urso gorilla. A body, and then you get the outfit from the Klingon, and you put them all together, uh, and that's how you wind up with uh, the amazingly inaccurate uh, Gorn action figure, which still. I mean, but you know, when we were kids, and I was playing with it, I was all right with it. I mean, you know, you you knew it wasn't quite the Gorn, but um, you were kind of, you know, I, growing up in the '60s and '70s, particularly in the '70s, um, I think kids were. We were very used to things not making sense and there not being continuity. So I remember being a little kid and, and, you know, I would read a Superman comic and the very next issue totally contradicted the issue that followed it. There was no there was no need for that because the idea was that these things were just sort of fun and disposable and they were not meant to be analyzed and discussed and, you know. Uh, you know, PhD uh, dissertations written on them, but that's what, that's what happened because they were so much fun, you know? And uh, so, um, but to be fair, those Mego lines, they did have, you know, just incredible. They had a few figures, uh, aliens who were beyond what they should have been able to do with the technology and talent. Uh, I mean, the technology at that time, because of the talented people they had working uh, in the company. So the Andorian, and the Romulan especially are incredibly faithful um, to the original show, particularly the Romulan. I mean, when you take that mask off the Romulan, I mean, it looks like Mark Leonard. I mean, to to the point of I don't know that they'd get a better sculpt today with with <laughs> with um, computer technology. Yeah, it is fun to poke fun at some of the uh, oddities like the Gorn, but you're right; they had they had a great scope of figures. You know, I mean, if you look and you know, looking ahead, I'm not going to jump ahead yet, but you look at like the the figures that came out like for Star Trek's two, three, four, five, six. There was almost nothing. You know, and to have you know to have the the wealth of the aliens and the crew members you had in the Mego in the seventies. I mean, they're they're definitely to be applauded for that. So, uh, but I did you, you know you mentioned the keeper. I did want to ask you, who is the keeper supposed to be? Because I because my theory was like it could be it could be Ruck, right? From what mm-hmm. it was made of, it could yep. be one of the aliens from the Empath, or it could be a Talosian because they're actually in the Talosian. They actually call him the keeper. So I think he could he could fit for any three of those. Which one is he supposed to be? Well, I don't. They never. You know, I think he was very. I think he was. The name is inspired by the Talosians, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the costume a little bit. The face, you know, also reminds me of the puppet that uh, uh, Blaylock uses in Corbomite Maneuver. At least, mm-hmm. it, you know, again with your contacts off and squinting. <laughs> so it's. Um, 
yeah, it, they never, you know, it's sort of like that Neptunian. It was, it was just sort of like, let's de- design some fun aliens. Mm-hmm. And a Neptunian kind of sounds like it might belong in the, that name sounds like it might belong to the Star Trek world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but they, th- that original group of, of action figures, um, the original group of the aliens, they just, it was more fun. And so they never, I don't think they really sat down and said, this is supposed to be right. this character. I think they took the, what they thought were fun elements of, of different figures and put it together. Cause eventually you do get a, a figure called Talos who the costume looks nothing like what a Talosian wears, but the, the head is exceptionally faithful to the Talosians. So uh, yeah, they just, you know, there, there was a lot of mix and matching. A lot of a lot of swapping. Interesting. They they choose the planet names like Sharon or Talos. That things that they're even more obscure than the the actual characters themselves <laughs> to name these action figures. It's just it's interesting stuff. And, and it, why why did the Magata wear clothes, John? Do you know? Yeah, I think. Well, I think the, from what I've heard, it was just a, a question of sort of modesty. Okay, that was my um, assumption also, as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you know Chewbacca wasn't quite a thing yet. You know, and uh, yeah. Chewbacca's always I've always wondered like why I wouldn't want to sit down after Chewbacca did, um, <laughs> you know, but, but, uh, and I think there was some discussion if I'm, I could be wrong about this, but I think there was some discussion about them saying, well, they wanted Chewbacca to wear pants. Right. No, Mark, Mark Hamill, is, Mark Hamill is still that story. He's like, they watch the film. Yeah. Like the first thing they want to know is why isn't the Wookiee wearing pants? It's like, that's what you <laughs> yeah, got out so of this. That's what you got out of Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like being, you know, like, how come no one recognizes Superman? And it's sort of like, well, you know, if that's what your problem is with it, you know, the flying guy you buy, you know, the right. superpowers you buy, go with it, you know. So um, I think it was more just a question of modesty. Plus, I think, you know, a lot of the, when those figures are coming out, it's like 1975, 1976, and the animated show has really, it was the most recent thing in a kid's memory. You know, a, yeah. a little kid, a little toy buying kid at that time, you know, because if you think about it, uh, if a kid was, was five years old in, in 1966 when the show was airing, by the time you get to the Mego figures, that kid's, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old and may not be buying toys. So they're looking a little bit more at maybe the animated audience mm-hmm. uh, at that time, which is why a lot of those toys have the vibe of, I mean, the figures do, especially the Kirk, Spock, McCoy, they they look a lot more like the animated show than they do the, and, and as the, the Klingons and everything, they look like the animated show rather than the, the original show. Um, and so it, it, they have that kind of a, I think, you know, the Enterprise playset is incredibly colorful in a right. way that, you know, it wasn't even on the animated show. But I think it was a lot of inspiration from that and um, and to kind of keep that fun going. Plus, it was the disco era, you know. So, <laughs> you know, the Mugato is in a disco, 1970s disco outfit. You know? Absolutely. But, no, I, I encourage you all. I, I know I tweeted about it. And if you, if you look them up online, you can find these guys who cosplay. They've been at, they've been at more than one convention as, as the Gorn and the Mugato. And I really hats off to you guys for dressing up that way. Yeah, so. That is so, so great. So moving on to uh, you know the motion picture, right? They did a huge push for action figures for the motion picture. They had all, every single alien you see in a background of a scene. There's an action figure for right, which is <clears throat> to almost Star Wars level, right, of action figures. So Absolutely. I mean, obviously that's what they're replicating there, but it did not pan out too well for them in the sales department, did it? No, I think part of it was you had, you know, you had Star Wars. So from from a kid's point of view, I mean, there's a couple of problems with the with the the motion picture line. I, you know, the the Star Wars was uh, uh, 
Bernie Loomis, who was the head of Kenner, had a a, a, a word that he that he used. Something had value to to Kenner if it was toyetic. Mm. So you know he had a choice to make between Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which everyone, including Lucas, thought was going to be the big sci-fi film. That that was Star Wars was not going was not supposed to be what it became, and that really people thought it was going to be Close Encounters. And Spielberg didn't agree. Spielberg thought it was Star Wars, which is why the two of them bet points on each other uh, and gave each other points as, as sort of a, a um, uh, you know, a bet, you know. And uh, so Spielberg had a lot of confidence in Star Wars. Lucas had a lot of confidence, confidence in Close Encounters. And Loomis had a choice to make. Um, you know, did he do a Star Wars? Do he just, do he just, does, does he do Star Wars or does he do um, Close Encounters? And he chose Star Wars over the two because he felt that Star Wars was more, more what he called toyetic. So things like the robots and the ships and they, his view was even if the movie wasn't successful, the toy line could stand on its own because it had a toy quality to it. And I think Star Trek, the motion picture, when you look at it, it's much more like 2001 than it is like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a deliberate choice, both because Star Trek has always been more rooted in science fiction. Star Wars isn't science fiction. Star Wars is fantasy. It's not, it's not dependent on science or it's not an extrapolation of our world into the future in the way like Star Trek. Is. So Star Trek, by its design, has always tried to be more sort of scientifically realistic, and they really up that um, in Star Trek, the motion picture. And that, that does not lend itself the slow moving ships. The, Mm -hmm. they're, they're really, I mean, the space battles are very, you know, um, mundane, I guess, quasi realistic, you know, when you have the opening, I mean, the, the, the designs are amazing and we love them, but they're not necessarily, they're more for a model on your, desk than they are for a, a, you know a kid taking the you know what are you going to do take the yeah. Vulcan shuttle and make it <laughs> dock, dock with, with the Enterprise, Enterprise. There yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot to do with that you know there's, yeah exactly so, I was thinking that too there's nothing to reenact like here here's the Klingon ship floating towards V'ger <laughs> you know there's nothing to reenact as a kid definitely yeah and I mean even you know and yes the aliens in Star Trek don't necessarily do any more than the I mean the aliens in Star Wars are all just sitting in a bar and the aliens in Star Trek a lot of them are just listening to Kirk you know or walking around Starfleet but but there's something about the aliens of Star Wars where there there was a little more because that that's those scenes were more dynamic mm-hmm. in terms of action you know we have a lightsaber fight in the bar and stuff like that it just lent itself a little more there was a band playing music it just it was a little more fun and I think that played a big, big role in it. I mean, Migo really did pull out all the stops, and it was a fantastic line. I mean, oh, I definitely. from the pa- the packaging, the 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 Enterprise playset that they created, um, which you know, other than the material used, it was sort of a plastic that doesn't hold up very well over time. You have to be very ginger with it. I mean, you you could rip it. You could actually literally rip your playset with your own hands. But it was a really great. Um, playset of the Enterprise that you could use with with the action figures and like you said they designed I mean they did everything they did different sizes action figures they did the Star Wars sized action figures they did the larger uh, 12 inch type action figures Uh, they really went all out on that line the problem of course was it was not a kid friendly film Mm -hmm. Um, I would imagine a lot of kids would little kids would go to it and be bored by it. I, you know, I wasn't, I was, I was, t- you know, 10 or 11 years old when it came out, but of course I was already predisposed to, to like Star Trek. Right. Um, and I think a lot of kids might've looked at it and been like, well, geez, I got this, I got Star Wars, that the, there's more action and adventure. And so the, that line really did not, it was a beautiful line, but it really did not work out. In fact, that's true of most of the merchandising 
of the motion picture. I mean, it was really the, there has not been a Star Trek film merchandised that much with the exception perhaps of Star Trek 2009. Mm-hmm. Which which had its own and, problems. We'll get to that. But <laughs> for the merchandise yeah, absolutely, side, yeah. absolutely. But so it it was, unfor- you know, and, and you know, it, from a from even a toy, uh, you know, side of it, Star Trek the motion picture is the first uh, movie that's connected to a Happy Meal, mm-hmm. uh, McDonald's Happy Meal. McDonald's Happy Meals start in uh, June of 1979 and December 1979. They have uh, a Happy Meal for the first time themed along with the film which is very, very common with marketing today, but it was a brilliant idea uh, by the woman who marketed the Star Trek uh, film. And they, they, um, they connected it to the McDonald's Happy Meal. And if, if people are bored, you can go onto YouTube and just search for McDonald's uh, Star Trek Happy Meal commercial, and you'll see a Klingon explaining to you in Klingon what a Happy Meal is. Um, using from from the era, it's a great commercial. Really, a lot of fun. I, I'm curious. To, I have to compare what he says to what Mark Okran's uh, dictionary and see how accurate <laughs> that is to, to cling on ease. But uh, yeah, so motion picture, as, as you mentioned, they they had different scales of figures because the Mego sets from we were talking about from the 70s, they had the that I, I mean they're they're kind of dolls more than action mm-hmm. figures. You know, the, the yeah. and then it's the same. Plan of the Apes have been the same that kind of thing. So you get yeah, to seven, d- seven inches, yeah. There it is, se- seven, seven inches. inches yeah, yeah. Dolls, yeah. Do, do you have a preference? Like, if like, do you, do you like more one more than the other, or just personal taste? Well, I think I I, I have a different answer depending on w- w- which <laughs> side of me you're asking. So as a as a as a kid, I think you want your figures to be qu- kind of small, only because. So I would I you know as a kid and and for playability. Mm-hmm. Um, I would favor like a three and a quarter inch to four inch line, the four yeah. inch line kind of being like the playmate line, because then you can get play sets uh, like um, that are really intricate and and pretty big, like the Death Star play set or the, the TNG bridge play set. Um, when you start going bigger, that becomes a bit, a bit of a problem to do anything like a, a play set, at least one that stores are willing to carry. And is, and is it a price that your mom and dad will be willing to pay, you know? Um, but the higher you go in size from a collector point of view, the better the sculpts, the better the costumes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, if it's just a, a question of sitting on my shelf, I like to have the larger figures. But if it's as a kid, as a t- I, I was I favored, the you know, because I grew I grew up in the era, you know, Star Wars was the first one. There were, there were other lines like Micronauts and things like that that were at that three and, a, you know, three and seven, five inch. Uh, scale, mm-hmm. uh, and then Star Wars really popularized that line. But I grew up in a world where everything was was seven or or twelve inches. With yeah. Six Million Dollar Man, Plan of the Apes, and um, so as a kid, I grew up with that. But I think uh, you know, as a, as a kid thinking today, I'd want it to be smaller because of the interactivity possibility. And you know, and also it makes like when you when you're a kid, you're playing all these what if scenarios and and, and crossovers and stuff with other toys. And it's like, okay, I have all my Star Wars toys over here that are one size, and my Batman toys over here, but my Star Trek ones are all these different sizes, and I can't interact with them, and it's really weird. So it's just, <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's and you know, it's also like poured a bit like when we were kids and we would go outside and play, or we would bring toys to, you know, there's like this having the figures in the, like the Star Wars carrying case mm. made it possible for you to bring twenty figures over to your buddy's house. If I was bringing over, 
you know, Amigo line or something. You need to, you know, you need, need to have a, you know, uh, yeah, you need to have your mom and dad's suitcase. That's right. <laughs> so they, as you said, Mega went all out with the motion pictures, no fault of the quality of the product or the scope of the product, but it just, it did not connect with consumers and kids. And so when Star Trek two comes around, there is nothing. <laughs> there is no merchandise for Star Trek two along action figure lines. Yeah. The closest we got, um, with, uh, in fact, we just wrote an article that'll be appearing uh, uh, in, an, in the next, well, I can you never say exactly when, but soon on, on uh, at StarTrek.com oh, about great. the Wrath of Khan, uh, that era, you know, the 1982, 1983, what was there? And um, there there really wasn't much. There were no action figures whatsoever. There, The closest thing you got was the FASA uh, or FASA uh, uh, role-playing little miniature like one inch, you know, the ships, um, right? yeah, the, the little tiny, and they had, they had the people. So, and they were kind of cool because they were, they were sold both within a, within boxes of, you know, he bought a collection of them along with some ships, but you can also buy them individually. So they came carded almost like they were action figures and uh, they each had like, you know, if you were getting Yalkim, he, he had his own card and Khan had his own card and Carol Marcus had, had her own card and things like that. So that was really kind of cool. But, mm-hmm. you know, there is no, I guess, you know, if you have a strong imagination as a little kid, you could have played with them, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're all, I mean, they're all one color, right? Cause they're, they're meant for, you know, if someone's really talented, I guess they could have painted them, right. but they were such a small scale that I don't even know how many people ever the real fans found a way no <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, if you were talented yeah i couldn't i couldn't but somebody could i'm sure but um you would need a you know, toothpicks but that was it i mean they're really you know we got a soundtrack we got a uh, a book mm-hmm. which is all is also an interesting story we're going to tell in the next couple months at star trek.com the, the book almost they didn't know what to do with the book because they did not want to release the book Books always released. It is not like today where The Last Jedi or um, the solo novelization come out at the time of the DVD release. Um, they always were released before the film. Mm-hmm. And um, they did not want to release the novel. There was a concern about releasing the novel to, to Vonda McIntyre's novel of Star Trek II because of the ending. Right. And so there, there was a whole bunch, we're going to get into it in the article, but there's a whole bunch of possibilities about like what they they were going to release the novel and you didn't get the ending and you had to go back to the store and get it after the film <laughs> came out. I mean, it was just all these crazy scenarios wow. that they were trying to come up with. But, um, so we got a book and we got a soundtrack and, you know, there were, there were, you know, tchotchke, there was, you know, mugs and, and, um, yeah. you know, penance and things like that. But there was, there were no toys because of the, the there was a hesitation there was a, and, a, and a legitimate hesitancy to, to, to go full out into a toy line. A lot of companies were not interested in it because of what they had seen happen. I mean, by that time, Mego was teetering on, if not already bankrupt, they were teetering on the point of bankruptcy. And although mm-hmm. Star Trek wasn't the cause of it, um, Star Trek was, did not, what happened with the motion picture did not help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, a very skittishness to, to do any sort of toy line. And then, that becomes the pattern of Star Trek. It becomes the pattern that, you know, you get a film that's really loved by the fans, by the critics at the box office. And then it's followed up by a film that, you know, many fans may still like, but maybe it isn't as popular or as well received. And, but that gets a toy line. Mm -hmm. 
in which case that doesn't sell as well because the movie isn't as well received. And then the next movie, which is well received and gets all these great, you know, reviews and, and a lot of fan appreciation, they don't have a toy line. And that pattern really continues throughout all of the first six uh, Star Trek films. You have a toy line for the motion picture for Star Trek three for Star Trek five, you do not have a toy line. You do not have a toy line for two, four or six. It's amazing. Right. But even then it's crazy. They took such low risks with like three and five because there's only four figures for Star Trek three. Uh, one of, one of them being Spock, which, <laughs> which I found very funny. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and, you know, and, and is, and in the, an outfit he doesn't even wear in yes. the film, except, except in the flashback sequence, uh, at the start of the movie. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it that was Ertl and Ertl, um, you know, Ertl did a great job with sort of the die cast side of things and their figures are fun. I mean, but they're, they were, they were not, it wasn't, it was difficult to take that line seriously because of a limited, you know, you had Kirk's, uh, Scotty, uh, Spock and Crooch. Yeah. Scott, why um, Scotty? McCoy, people. McCoy is the, is the third guy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, and that's always the right. The bane of all collectors is, I think, many of us are are completists, and so um, you know, it annoys me when I when I look at that and I'm like, Where, where's Uhura? Where's check? You know, where's Chekhov? Exactly. You know, it, it it bothers me that you at least don't get the, the. It should be like all seven or none. Exactly. Now, now this was the beginning of the diecast, uh, Refit Enterprise, and Bird of Prey, and the Excelsior. Correct. Those were also in Star Trek Three, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they and, did. Um, yeah, they did. A, they did diecast versions. And then, because I had the versions of these, but for Star Trek Five, when they re-released them <laughs> with the Enterprise A and the Bird of Prey, uh, and you know, eighty nine or ninety when those came out. Mm-hmm. So, and Four had nothing. Which again, as we're talking about. Wow, like the most commercially and critically yeah. successful Star Trek film, you know, up to that point <laughs> by far, even today almost, most mainstream. Nothing for them. Not even like a, a humpback whale you could go buy. <laughs> you know, nothing like right. that. Yeah, we had to wait all the way till about a, about two years ago. They released a, uh, a George and Gracie bobblehead. <laughs> and that is the only, yeah, I mean, poor George and Gracie. I mean, my gosh, just take a ho-ho and rebrand it. Do some label slopping. Take a ho-ho, rebrand it, and call it, a, you know, the probe. And that we could that would have been an easy toy See, to make, right? If this if, the, if that were nineteen sixty six instead of nineteen eighty six, there'd been so much out there, so much. Yeah, it was incredible. And that was a toyetic film. I mean, I think it was such a fun film, and it was set in the modern world. And yeah, you didn't have a lot of space battles or things like that. But there, I think that film could have they could have done which which is always a great seller. They could have done like the truck. I mean, what a great toy that would have been to have Kirk and Spock. And the truck with Jillian. I mean, right. just things like that where there were just missed opportunities because there were no, there was no toys for that. For that, mm-hmm. eventually there would be when Diamond Select toys and stuff, you know, 20 years later makes alliance. Right. But it's never, not at the time of the, of the film itself. All right. And then you get five and you get your, of course, you get your Kirk, your Spock, your Klingon figure with Claw. Which, by the way, these sculpts, as you were talking about, because these are larger figures. These are probably mm-hmm. these seven inches again. I think they're at least around that size. And you get Cybok, right? Mm-hmm. And the sculpts on these guys are very good. You know, they, they look almost photorealistic, don't they? Yeah, there's, that was a great line. That was by Galoob, who got mm-hmm. the license in uh, 1988, and they made the uh, Star Trek V. I kind of call them in-action figures, because they're, <laughs> they're not really... They're not very articulate. <laughs> they're very unarticulate, but they're beautiful and they're really nice size. I mean, Claw is fantastic, and uh, and Cybok looks. I mean, this, all of them look good. I think, and it's kind of neat because they chose, which I thought was great. They chose to do um, Kirk and Spock and, and McCoy not in the traditional 
outfits which we had seen you know through but rather in more the the you know the the mission to you yeah. know the mission the nimbus it was, it was a movie specific outfits, yeah. outfit which is the complete opposite of what they did for star trek 3 with the different companies so absolutely yeah so it was and and you know the nice thing is when you take i mean the packaging they look great in the boxes but but if you take them out and you put them together the backgrounds all make a single scene so i mean it oh. looks it really looks incredible on your shelf. I mean, it's the background is all Nimbus three, and each each person has sort of like a different element of the of the background, and uh, it's really cool. And you put them together, and it looks like it really looks like a, a really nice display. That was a great line, and Galoob did Galoob did some great figures, and both for that and next gen. And uh, unfortunately, I think it was just a, a question again of timing, and Star Trek five did not obviously did not perform well. It was the lowest performing of the original six films and um and had stiff competition and toy competition at that time it just yeah. didn't work batman out. ghostbusters indiana jones you know we've all heard the story but yeah that, that's i didn't think about the the commercial side as well as far as the toys because yeah the, the, it, was, it was a tough summer at the box office and at the, at the toy store for for star trek but uh that's you know I, I might have to actually i've never actually held one of those or seen them in, in person but I might actually start seeking those out because I like I like Star Trek Five more than most people, and yeah, I didn't I realize did that they, they, it was part of the display. Like I didn't realize I, I knew they were more statuesque than other action figures, but I didn't realize like they were meant to have this background and they kind of fit all together into a set. To me, as a collector, like oh, immediately that's something more collectible than say an action figure on a card, which I have to either take out of the package or hang on a sh- or hang on a hook somewhere, right? Yeah, I mean, they really are meant to be. They're really meant to be more like, like like statues. They're really, although uh, they're made of plastic, but they're but they're really nice, um, heavy, um, well made. You know, they're very well made. And now I, I agree with you about Star Trek Five too. Is it, I, it's weird because I well I approach films I, I guess you know either one way one direction or another. But I like if it has something sociological to say, which is kind of a does a sociology professor, I'm going to be inclined to like it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I love Star Trek five. And I actually, I think, which I know is sacrilege. I think insurrection is the best of the next gen films. Mm. And I, it, it, the be, let's put it this way. It's the best of the next gen films. I do think as a film, first contact is a better film, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's a very good Star Trek film. Yeah. In, um, insurrection it, more it, captures the spirit of next yeah. gen and Star Trek more than first contact. I follow you there. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think as a film, you know, production value, story, and first contact, of course. But I think yeah. in terms of what makes Star Trek Star Trek, um, I love the message of insurrection and things like that. And they had a great toy line too, insurrection. But well, um, well you're you're talking uh, about the every other film thing, and I'll tell you this, John. I don't know if yeah. we talked about this, but Star Trek Three is my favorite of the original series films. So oh, I love Star Star Trek Three is fantastic. Star Trek Three is the is Mission Impossible meets Star Trek, um, <laughs> and and but but a really a family movie. I mean. I think out of any of the any uh, anything in Star Trek that that film speaks to uh, the family of characters mm-hmm. um, more than any other film. It is it's a great film. It's very operatic. I mean, and it's got Nimoy behind the camera. And there's so much great things about it. And one of my favorite things we have in our in our research that we discovered are uh, is Nicholas Meyer's notes to Harv Bennett about Star Trek Three, mm. which are pheno- which are phenomenal to read. Um, he was, of course, asked to write Star Trek III, uh, but uh, he would not bring Spock back uh, and refused to bring Spock back, uh, Meyer. But he did help out. He did give them suggestions and notes um, for Star Trek III. And then, uh, of course, by the time Star Trek IV, his view was Star Spock's back. There's nothing yeah. I could do about it. It's I can done. help him by writing. You know, <laughs> I'm done. I'll help him write. You know, my friends need me. So, um, But uh, – uh, 
three was just really a great, I mean, just the production of it and the stories mm-hmm. behind it. I mean, just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a tragedy that there was a fire at, at Paramount at that time. But I, I mean, that story of Shatner helping to put out the fire mm-hmm. on the set of Star Trek three, um, got to get back the, to TJ yeah, Hooker in time. It. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, what a great, I mean, just a great, the, everything about the film, the behind the scenes, the story, you know, um, I, I thought Robin Curtis was, was really great in that I, film. I think. I, I she's my, she's it, my favorite Savick. Tough following. Yeah. It's tough following. <laughs> it's tough, tough following an originating actor. Um, and she did a great job in that role. I thought. Well, yeah, yeah. Listeners know I had to get my Star Trek three talk in there. So that's, so see John, when you guys are done cataloging every last element of Star Trek two, Move on to Star Trek Three. I'll be right there with you. Excited to read that stuff. So, yeah, I. Uh, you know what? I would love to get my hands on those archives. That's, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're, we mostly have two, four, and six as mm-hmm. what we have our hands. And Insurrection, we have. Um, we From got Michael actually, Pillar. Uh, yeah, and we, through Michael Pillar and through Sandra Pillar, and also mm-hmm. through, uh, we have a lot of uh, Jonathan Frakes' actual notes and files. Oh, so uh, we, yeah, we got them at an auction. Nice. So uh, a lot of really, yeah, I mean that, so I would love to do Star Trek three. That would be phenomenal. Cool. Well, that's one tangent there. We love to have those on standard. Yeah. I'm going to take us on another <laughs> side tangent, right? Cause as I mentioned at the top of the show, or I might have uh, the Gloob line. Okay. Of the next generation. These were my like first toys period that I remember as a, as a kid, you know, and I love the next gen line, even though they were like a couple years out of date already <laughs> from like when next gen mm-hmm. started. It's like you have season one figures, but they're coming out around the time of two and three. And, and by the time, you know, as you said, like the, the market wasn't there. Next gen hadn't kind of reached the pop culture uh, plateau yet that it had been or the uh, peak of the mountain, I should say, Zenith instead of plateau. Uh, so this one kind of just sputtered out, but it was so they were so cool figures because they were the same. They were, they were the three and three fourth inches size that the, the Kenner Star Star Wars line. So you can kind of like mess around with them, mix and match your playset. The sculpts were great. The sculpts were very. I, I felt they were very photorealistic to the actors, um, much more so than the Playmates toys, which are kind of like kind of caricature esque, you know, uh, which is fine. But there, there was something to be said for the Galoob figures, and also they they were just so small and portable. And uh, I, I just, I, I like them a lot. And you had the original, uh, well, I would say almost all the original uh, lineup for the Enterprise D. You didn't have Crusher or Troy, but I guess the logic there was, well, you know, who wants to go play in the action with the doctor or the counselor? Right? At least Tasha was the security officer, right? I guess that was the logic at the time. But uh, Trek Corps did a great series of articles about this a few years ago. And uh, it was very insightful. I know some of it, but there's a lot more I didn't know when they talk all about it. And I must say, I was kind of disappointed in the toys that made us, John, because they had spent like a good 30 seconds on <laughs> the Galoob line and they yeah. moved on. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, uh, well, uh, to, 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 to give hope to people out there, I, I'm, we're hopeful uh, that they're going to do a DVD release of that show eventually. And um, I know there is talk of that, although, you know, whether that happens or not. Right. And um, that the idea is to include things that were so we did talk a lot about glue, uh, just like with Star Wars. The big, the big complaint was the power of the force line. And um, Mary Jo, in fact, uh, the, the bulk of what my wife talked about in that show was the which was it had to be edited out because they really didn't cover the line for time mm-hmm. reasons. Um, was about the power of the force line, and it's the same thing. There were there were toy lines that we spent a lot of time on, and they just didn't fit within the the time parameters and the editing to mm-hmm. make it the, the the narrative flow. So, but they exist, and um, 
uh, we've been told that if they do do a DVD, they do want to do the d- sort of deleted scenes and include those toy lines that people did not get a chance to see in the originals. Because I thought, I agree with you, Gloob was a phenomenal line. Um, it, it was really, it, it was caught up in, the, in, the, in that sort of in-between phase of, um, you know, before Next Gen became the powerhouse where it was beating, you know, first-run programming and was was in some weeks the number one show in the country if their ratings had been included in the regular ratings mm-hmm. you know um, it wasn't quite it wasn't quite there yet and so um, it, they they were they were a little too early with the line in a way and that by that time the the line had been transferred over to playmates uh, who did the bulk of the next gen figures but they really did I mean their alien line uh, yeah. that they did uh, was it was phenomenal and and really, uh, some of the best figures that were ever made, I thought, were in that alien yeah, sort the, of five. The Ferengi, the, the Antican, so. the Sile, the Q, and uh, mm-hmm. and then I guess the Romulan, which is one of the Holy Grails, like the Wesley. Yeah, uh, that would have been great to get those. Yeah, they were, you know, they were, and that was, you know, to show that, you know, the the what ifs that that, you know, they they were carded and prototyped and all that unfortunately the line got got canceled but uh it would have been it would have been great had that line continued because i think to see what they would have done with you know plus the other the other benefit when we're talking about sizes when you go small with those figures you can get a variety of figures right because that because they can release you know part there's a whole business behind these toys right so part of it is i'm a i'm a retailer a big giant retailer i have only so much space on my shelf that i'm going to give to any given company who has to sort of prove that they it's worth my my time and energy to stock those items in my store and so the smaller the toys are and the less the footprint on the shelf the, the the better it is from a retailer point of view. When you start getting these big giant play sets and you know things like that, it takes up too much shelf space. You could have five six items there that sell mm. instead of just one item that sells. And so when this, the figures are smaller, it allows both for retailers to be a little more willing to take lines, and also for a more variety of figures to be put in whatever amount of space people are, are given. So it would have been great to see as next gen went on and there were more aliens and more costume changes and things like that, what they would have done with that line. Uh, of course, the famous thing with the line is the datas, yes. um, you know, and the different, the, the sort of paint errors that occur. And uh, that's, that's really fun. If someone hasn't started collecting those yet, um, you know, make sure that you, you look for that. So you want to try to get the blue face data and the, the <laughs> regular human flesh tone data and the speckled data and all that. And the regular through, data. Through and try com- to find the variations. Yeah. Through a combination of my mom's relentless efforts when I was a kid to track all these down and then save some as collectibles when I played with some and then my own eBay searching <laughs> when I was <laughs> older, I have pretty much the entire Gloob. I, well, no, I have the entire Gloob everything that was released to the general public. Now, I obviously don't have stuff like a Romulan or an acting in some Wesley Crusher or a bridge playset or all these cool things. That, and that was, was that, the tease of the Gloob line, right? Because you saw in the back of the packages like other things that were available. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to get mm-hmm. those. Oh, sorry, we're canceled. We don't have any of those. So that would have been a bridge set before the bridge set that we got with Playmates. So, so yeah, there's a lot of cool possibilities there. And the, other, the really cool Holy Grail thing about some of these is uh, especially the Romlin or the Wesley, like th- there were no other figures. Playmates never made a acting ensign Wesley or a anti can or a sea lay or a, you know, anything like that. So these are the only toy versions of those aliens. 
and the Romulan in that in those in that sort of first season. Yeah, where like it was much closer, to much TOS. closer to the original. Yeah, to the original to the original Romulans and uh, Gold to cop uh, the Romulan. Yeah, you know, yes. they, they had a they had a great the diecast line glue with with uh, with the the next gen. Oh yeah, uh, they the had the separating with, saucer section. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was great. I mean, they they really did a great job. It would have been, you know, they did get to go a little bit past that with. Um, the micro machines, I believe, were also from them. Yes, uh, but yes. Um, but uh, you know, action figure wise, that that got turned over to Playmates. You know, well, there you go. So, uh, I, so, so, so since it didn't get a lot of airtime on Toys It Made Us, I want to spend a little time here talking about my favorite <laughs> toy yeah. lines. So there we go. Move on. If you don't know what they are, like John said, look it up. Like I said, Trick Core had a great article on those uh, from a few years ago. I think it's like a four part article. It's very interesting, insightful stuff about the glue line. And, and they did go on to make some great micro machines of like almost every ship you can think of in Star Trek. Uh, much very similar to the Star Wars lines they did, the micro machines for glue. So. Yeah, and they were, you know, they were, they were, um, they were great because they came with these little stands, you yes. know, and you, they make a great, I mean, and they, and and again, uh, many ships that have never been produced mm-hmm. in any other line. So it's definitely, uh, you know, they, that lasted a good while, and they had a, a lot of variety of ships. The Gloob line is a really great. I don't want to say lost line because many mm-hmm. people finally remember it, but it's not one that that gets as much attention as it deserves. We're giving it to him here, John. So anyway, yes. <laughs> moving on to uh, to Playmates, I guess that's that's the kind of the big one uh, from the '90s when when Star Trek, kind of the golden age of Star Trek, was really the mid '90s, and this is when Playmates. I mean, everywhere that's what's great about the Playmates line. Like I had more toys of this than any other toys I had as a kid. And, uh, I mean, I was born in the 80s, but I was a child in the 90s, you know. So, uh, you, I mean, you go to Walmart, Target, uh, uh, the, the, you know, uh, the drugstore, right? You're seeing these Playmates toys everywhere. And they lasted a good long while. And you had your Next Gen, and you had your uh, original series. They went out to Deep Space Nine, Voyager. Something we were talking about earlier where there weren't original series figures for the movies. Uh, one of my favorite sublines of, of this was the whole classic, uh, classic Star Trek line for like the movies. So you got some, uh, they had some motion picture in there, right? But you got some of the original uh, two through six characters and cast in those uniforms, which is a great thing Playmates did as well. Yeah, they were. That was you know Playmates is to is to Star Trek what Kenner is Kenner was to mm-hmm. Star Wars, right? It's um, and Hasbro is right now, but it's it's. Um, yeah, it went from 1992 till 2000, and then they also picked up a license um, at the time of Star Trek 2009, which I was so thrilled um, that they got the license for for uh, the J.J. Abrams films and um, was fortunate. I did a little bit of consulting after the fact on, on what they had planned and what they had planned to do and never wound up being done would, would have also been great because they actually had a license to do more than the 2009. So they... They were looking at doing, um, and it never happened, but this would have been around 2010, uh, they were going to release um, a for every single Star Trek original series episode, a um, like a box diorama, and that would capture a significant moment from there with a couple of action figures representing those that wow. scene. Breaking my heart, and John. I just, yeah, <laughs> it was it was sad. I mean, they they had a whole second line of their their first line was really the victim of the secret. The, the, although we're jumping ahead here, I guess. But in two thousand nine, <laughs> the the there 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 was as as everyone knows a lot of secrecy around 
Star Trek 2009, I really was never sure why. I never thought there was any big surprise or reveal in there. I mean, I, I guess Amanda dying and, and uh, Vulcan being destroyed, but there wasn't like some huge, you know, Darth Vader is my father revelation in there. Well, we but, all knew that Leonard Nimoy was going to be in the movie, so... Yeah, it was it was a strange it was a, it was strange, but the, the, but for whatever reason there was a, a big push towards secrecy, which did affect a lot of the merchandise and uh, you know in terms of like there we there was almost no novel for that mm-hmm. film, and that the novel uh, really got you know pushed to the very last possible minute um, because of the fear of wanting they not wanting and I understand but not wanting the story out there. Um, prior to the film and uh, there's a lot of eyes on a book before it comes out and a lot of possibilities of the story leaking out that way in today's era with the internet and uh, so a lot of the 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 the, um, frustration on the part of some of the the licensees from that I had talked to when we were doing our research and and also helping was um, that uh, you know there was a there was a concern that you know they were they, they had images and things like that and they just didn't have enough to, to make a varied toy line. So a lot of the problem with the Playmates 2009 line was a re, it was basically the, the small figures were repeated as larger figures were repeated as even larger figures. And there wasn't a whole lot of variety. And in the second wave that was coming out, you would have seen what should have come out with the first wave. There was a lot more variety of costumes, a lot more variety of characters. There were creatures, mm-hmm. um, like the beasts that, that track Kirk down that, you know, there was even talk of doing the car. I mean, uh, Kirk's car, there was a lot more variety potential and it just never happened. But what playmates did do in the nineties from 92 to 2000, I think is, is really fantastic. They, they, you know, uh, I love star Wars too. And I love all the Kenner and Hasbro, but one of the, 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 concerns i've always had with that line is that you know when you get a luke you get luke and it's they're literally you could have just a collection of luke's in his you know uh star you know episode uh, episode four uh you know new hope tatooine outfit because they just they release that same figure with slight variations again and again and again as there are improvements in technology or changes in the line and what playmates did that i thought was fantastic was to my to my recollection, they never released the same character in exactly the same outfit twice, with the exception of um, a couple of repackages that they did. But other than that, it wasn't like you know when you got another wave of figures, you you uh, in there were five new ones and four old ones that they were mm. reissuing in a new package. It wasn't like that. They when you got a Kirk, it was always Kirk in a different outfit or always a Cisco. So you wound up with this incredible variety of characters, both characters and characters in different costumes that, you know, we're, we're talking the Playmates line did 367 four-inch figures. Wow. Uh, they did 31 six-inch figures, 89 nine-inch figures, and 31 twelve-inch figures. So they did... Uh, you know, just the figures alone, forgetting their play sets and their the ships and the role playing and all that, they did, you know, nearly 500 action figures. So and at, I, I, at I no think, point repeated any of them. I, I think I had thanks to my mom and dad, of course, because I was a kid. I think I had about 250 of those 360 <laughs> action figures from Playmates. And, you, and you're right, I'm thinking about it. And you know, there was some occasional head swapping 
or body swapping and whatnot. Oh, sure. One, yeah. one of my favorite, like, oh, this is obvious, is when uh, <laughs> when they made Thomas Riker. Um, well, actually, both both Thomas Rikers, actually, now that I think about it. So they, you had your TNG Thomas Riker, but they just painted over the Battle Riker, you know? So you yeah. see the rips in the mm-hmm. uniform, just painted over. And then yeah. uh, and then the D8, the Deep Space Nine Thomas Riker, which was bizarre, he, he is Riker's head on Chief O'Brien's body in a uniform that he never wore on the show. So uh, anyway, yeah. th- th- these are yeah. the things where they keep making figures. I, but I thought it was a cool figure, like you play alternate universe or something, you, you know, you, it's a cool figure to have, but... Uh, but uh, anyway, you know, speaking of, you're talking about secrecy before movies and that kind of thing. So something that always sticks out to me in, in these lines is, is the Generations line with the alternate mm-hmm. uniforms. I thought that was very interesting, huh? Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, it's, it's a good example of sometimes when, which is the opposite problem, right? They probably have... That a lot of they obviously had Too a much very access. long period of time to access, <laughs> yeah, to information, and it produces other problems. But you know that's one of the things I like about like the trading cards and things like that. So they're like Wrath of Khan trading cards where you see images of scenes that were they were like their set photos, so they were filmed and they were either never filmed or filmed and deleted. And mm-hmm. you know, there's a second kiss in insurrection that was deleted from the film that was a trading card. I mean, so sometimes in the toys and in the merchandising, you get a little peek into the what ifs and the deleted scenes and things. And perhaps the best example of that is the generations line, because you get, you get Kirk in his um, parachuting, you know, a space parachuting uh, outfit at the beginning of the film that was deleted from the, from theatrical release. uh, And he never appears in that in the film. And then there's of course the, the outfits that are worn by the uh, Starfleet, crew which were originally going to be their outfits that were a kind of a, a little bit more militarized version of their next gen you know seasons three through seven outfits and um that the very last minute that was scrapped um and both because like, of like the very last minute like they even filmed yeah. a couple of scenes with jordy in his uniform yeah and they and they uh they uh they went with the basically with the the, the DS9 outfits to, to give some variety to the to the film, and uh, but yet the toy line has those has those costumes. So it's sort of a a tangible 3D you know look <laughs> at what those costumes would have looked like, which which is great. I mean, it was a little confusing, um, and in some ways it was the, the 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 way that that worked against it is the fans and 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 kids who cared who. Um, got that line where, you know, like, well, my gosh, they didn't take any, look at this, this doesn't look like the film, and they didn't take any care with this line, and the truth is, it was a very carefully produced line, really great line, but it was produced based on uh, costumes that never existed. Yeah, and speaking of the original series uh, characters in their Rathacon era uniforms, we got, at least with this generation's line, we got Kirk, Chekhov, and Scotty uh, in those uniforms here. So there is that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, a, I mean, it, you know, and they, they did, you know, they did with, with the next gen films uh, particularly. Um, and then, as you said, they kind of went back and did, they did an Ilea, they did a Mardia from Star Trek six. We got mm-hmm. a general Chang from Star Trek six, uh, Khan, uh, Alley version of yeah. Savage. Yeah. You know, we, we they, got, they we got uh, Worf's, uh, Worf's body from his redemption costume with uh, Christopher Lloyd's head on it for Krug. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, exactly right. So they uh, they were they were able to kind of go back and sort of fill in some of the holes of uh, of those lost opportunities when they were you know back and forth with the original films. But they did a great you know the the insurrection toy line, particularly the nine inch lines, because of course they did they did. Uh, they did have a pretty extensive uh, nine-inch line. They they produced almost ninety uh, nine-inch figures, uh, including if you include the two thousand and nine uh, figures in these numbers. And so they they uh, those nine-inch ones are you know they're kind of neat. I mean the, the 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 crusher and the weirdest one of course is Worf who has like re, quote unquote real hair, and it's just he's his hair looks like he was in a, a storm and stuck his finger in a socket. Yeah. I mean every bad thing that his hair looks like. Uh, but it, well, it allowed you, if you're, you know, if you wanted to, you could like comb the hair and style it. And things now like those that. those are and nine inches. What what size were the first contact? They were like six, I think. The first contact figures. Yeah, yeah that, that that was sort of that was a confusion that happened with the line. Eventually, what what started to happen around the mid '90s, <clears throat> and particularly with the film lines, but they they started to introduce these kind of um, six inch figures. There were about thirty one of them. They did some mm-hmm. next gens in that line. I'm sorry, some. Um, DS9s in that line as well. And what that, that what they wanted to do is go a little bit bigger to allow for things like you could get like the Defiant chair. And so you, you, when you got Cisco in the six-inch line, he came with a Defiant chair, which was kind of cool. Uh, or when you got, you know, um, the Cardassian in the six-inch line, he came with like a Cardassian uh, console. So they were able to kind of give you a little bit of um, diorama-esque kind of feel to the toys by going a little bit bigger, but it kind of confused the line because um, there were eventually like first contact, uh, a few of the first contact lines that were in the four, four inches and things like that. You did get that, but there were also the main line at the time of the film was more like that six inch line where you got Zephyr Cochran and, Mm-hmm. and literally and all of that within this line and um it was kind of different because it went it was sort of against their normal four inch line i guess you yeah. could say and and you, you, we were used to like films being done they would do four and nine but then they introduced the six inch element into yeah the that line was that was that odd I, I just never really because they, they don't really fit with either size figures you have at that point you're like oh okay these these will just be played with on their own because i can't really interact with the other ones so yeah, they have to like sit on a separate shelf if you have <laughs> shelf spacing and things like that. It's kind of odd. I mean, it did allow for a little bit more detail uh, in the costumes and things. I mean, Zephyr Cochran's a great, he's really a great yeah. figure, but um, I kind of like there. If you're going to go six inch, you may as well go nine and mm-hmm. get the real cloth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and they did, they did a good job with the real cloth figures from that line. Now you go to get to two thousands. You know, Nemesis didn't really have a full line, did it? I think they were with like Diamond Select at this point, or I'm not actually, I'm actually not too sure. Yeah. I'm kind of old at this point, so I'm not playing with toys like I did. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily I, I get to. Yeah, my excuse gets to be I'm studying them, so I get to keep buying them. Um, uh, and then I had we had our son, so that also helped. But uh, we have excuses. But uh, yeah, what happened in? Um, uh, Right at the end of the um, Playmates era, Art Asylum came out. Eventually, Art Asylum would be yeah, Art Asylum would be purchased by Diamond Select Toys, and it would or you know it would basically become one company, but um, uh, to some degree. It's a it's a complex story, but anyway, it's a, people usually talk about them as one line. But um, they started to do sculpts for Playmates figures at the very very end, particularly a line of. 
uh, Borg figures, which are much larger sized um, and really cool. I mean, they are very, very intricate, but they, 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 were, they were only possible to be made using the computer technology that Art Asylum was starting to bring to toys where they were starting to scan actors and do computer assisted um, uh, sculpting and things like that. And um, that was really a lot of, a lot of uh, a man by the name of uh, Digger Mesh and Donna Saldana, who were the kind of pioneers in that world. And now it's very common for toys to do that. But um, so they, they, their first sort of line that they came out with was the broken bow line from Enterprise, which mm. uh, the toys came out in 2002, about six months, seven months after the premiere of the episode. And you, you got, you know, um, the characters in their, um, the away team outfits and also in their regular Enterprise outfits. They had beautiful um, sculpts of um, the, the alien characters that they had and Dorians and the Klingons and things like that. So they they really did a great um, job with that line. And, and they, and the one really fantastic element of the enterprise line was they had a deluxe series. So the idea was you were going to buy a uh, T'Pol, um, uh, Malcolm, Archer, and Travis, and each of them came with a piece, a very large piece of the Enterprise Bridge. So, so Archer came with his chair, T'Pol came with her science console, and things like that. And Travis was going to come with the helm, and uh, Malcolm comes with the tactical uh, console. And uh, they only released three of the four. Um, oh, wow. the, the, the Travis never got, they, they, it was made in the prototype stage. I believe Anthony Montgomery has one of them and there's, <laughs> a, there's a few floating around out there. Um, but it, the, the consoles were done in the same way as the figures. So not only are the con the figures accurately scanned, those consoles and the chair are phenomenal reproductions. Oh, wow. I mean, they're they're perfect. So you, what you did is you could then link it together, and it was going to produce this massive playset. Now, jumping uh, around, of course, in the timeline as we've been doing here, this is exactly mm -hmm. what the '09 toys were supposed to be. With uh, every figure came right. with a piece of a bridge, and you're supposed to assemble the bridge. And then, of course, mm -hmm. they cancel the line before they finish releasing the figures with the bridges. Now, I now I have seen online because I looked this up. Uh, and I've seen online where people have like found a way to like customize the parts that are accessible. Like, okay, if you buy four checkoffs, you can you, right. you can finish the bridge. So so leave it to Star Trek fans to figure this stuff out. Yep. It's a good on you, but it's it's disappointing that 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 they they plan out this really cool thing for to reward you as a collector. Like, if I get every figure, I'm going to have a bridge playset because I bought every figure. Right? That's a really cool idea. Right. But it's it just I wish they would just stick to it. I mean, I understand all the finances and stuff, and right, but, but right. see it through yeah. to the end, guys. Come on. It, it it is it is a because it's such a beautiful. I mean, I love when I look at it uh, in our collection. I love looking at it because it it's such a great looking bridge. I mean, it's it's Herman Zimmerman, right? So of mm. course it's, it's beautiful, and and yet right in the middle of it where there should be Travis, and, you know, it's not there, and it's uh, it's uh, you know it's uh, it's it's heartbreaking because it really would have been a great. It, that was such a unique idea. Uh, and it just never occurred. So that was that was kind of the 2001, 2002, and then that led right into the Nemesis uh, figure. So the Nemesis got a, a, a short run. It was sort of like Data, Picard, uh, Shinzon, uh, the Viceroy, um, not a lot. And then eventually 
there would be a pickup on the rest of the figure you would get, you know, Jordy and uh, Troy and Riker, but that would all come in sort of later once uh, Diamond Select really starts uh, getting getting their license and the you know diamond select themselves have also produced i mean they're sort of the second big they're still doing it in fact they have right. figures coming out next year from 2009 and then they have a board figure uh, that's coming out and they're they're kind of doing these um uh, diorama type of figures and things like that but the the diamond select line that you know they have produced and then they've taken risks too and produced a lot of unusual uh, figures i mean they've produced more than 150 action figures. I mean, they, they gave us Nurse Agawa and Clark Terrell, and, you know, uh, just figures that you would know, no, you would think no one would take a risk financially and make those things, but they, they found a way to make that work because they did it through, you know, not through, you wouldn't find those necessarily at stores, but you, you could order them. And it was sort of a specialty, uh, collectible type of, uh, uh, market. So, um, so they went, eventually Nemesis got filled out, but it, it took, Many years after the film came out, for that to happen. So I I learned that today, John Clark is Captain Terrell's first name. Yeah, Clark Terrell. Okay, yeah, there it uh, is. with an E at the yeah with the at the E oh. with an E at the end of it. Yeah. All right, gotcha. See, there you go. Well, you never know. <laughs> of course, I counted on you to, to share a new Star Trek two fact. I was unaware. Of. That's great. So yeah, so you know, you get the Nemesis. You know, the, the movies are over for a while. Then we, as we said, we kind of jumped ahead to, to Playmates and we kind of talked about that. So I assume. The lack of Star Trek Into Darkness and Beyond stuff is due to the poor performance or you know or sales of the 09 toys, correct? Yeah, you know, the, the, to me, the biggest hole. Oh, it's not not really a toy, but that there isn't an, a a um, a uh, Star Trek Beyond. Well, first of all, that there aren't Star Trek Beyond figures disappoints me greatly because not only did I think that was it's one of my favorite Star Trek films, period. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could have taken that film, and if we could go back in time, not that I'd want to replace the performances of the actors who are in the film, but that film could have easily been a uh, with Shatner and Nimoy. I mean, the, the everything about it smacked Star Trek. Oh, yeah, I, I think um, I've said this it before. Was, I think it, was, it could be a, the series finale of TOS, you know? Yeah, it was really beautiful. I mean, and I love the message of it. I love the the, the conversation between um, Kirk and Kral, uh Well, Edison, I guess at that point he's reverting back. But he, I, I love the conversation about you know if we don't if we don't change, if we keep fighting the same, we just wind up keep fighting the same battles again. And just I mean, really a lot of Star Trek uh, optimism. And but you know, but the film kind of goes. You know, you you do. You really have to read into it to get the idea. Oh, okay, Kral is this guy Edison. He's on this planet. Him and his people, the three of them, survive, and they they use this alien technology of these like bee bee type, you know, hive mind aliens who we don't know anything about. And so th- that it, to me, that screams for a novel, mm. and that that that's to me the biggest hole in the world of Star Trek merchandising, the, the, every Star Trek film has had a novel and Star Trek Beyond didn't get one and it deserves one. And I think, and, and when you read like they, they, they released a beautiful, the beautiful makeup book uh, on Beyond and they released a beautiful um, sort of art book that covers all three of the films. And when you read them and you read the sort of like the stories the backstory of crawl and the, they, they, they give you a little bit in there. You're like, Oh, 
I want to know more about these characters. I want to know more about these aliens. I want to know more. But so that that bothers me. But those costumes are so beautiful in that film. And they would have been fantastic. I mean, what McFarlane could do with Star Trek Beyond um, uh, would be incredible. And I don't know that that's ever going to happen. I mean, the, the good news is we're getting, uh, you know, some Kelvin figures from Diamond Select Toys next year, but they're doing them in the costumes from 2009, which are, are fine. That's great. I did think that they were better and the, I'd like the costumes more and beyond, but, um, uh, yeah, you know, beyond, beyond, I think, I don't know what happened there. I don't know why that wasn't an enormous hit. Um, it, it, you know, it, it was not merchandised. I don't think, uh, as uh, in a successful manner, there was no food tie-ins. There was no, I mean, literally, you know, in today's world, right. I mean, we live in this world of so much information. And one of the singularly best places to let people know about a film is through what they call retail marketing, which is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't care who you are, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, every age goes to places like Target and Walmart and grocery stores and things like that. If you're, if you're physically shopping, you're not going to, you know, an online shopping world. And so, you know, one of the places people find out that there's a new Avengers movie coming out is by looking at the toy section as they walk past in Target and they're on an end cap as Avengers toys. And they're like, oh, there's another Avengers movie coming out. And so because it hits every age group, it's not as niche as the internet is or even as TV is when you go to a retail store. There's no, there's no race or demography or anything. Every, everyone goes to these stores. And that's a very important component of a film success is to do retail marketing. And I don't believe I can even recall any being done. I mean, I think there were a few little things here and there, but there was no Denny's meal. There was no Subway meal. There was nothing. I mean, there was no presence of beyond and it should have been this big giant celebration of the 50th 50th anniversary anniversary, of Star Trek. And, and it was. I mean, I think that film was a celebration. The, the, the nods that were in there to Voyager with the, the Admiral being named Paris and, of course, the beautiful moment where you see the original crew photograph and, mm-hmm. you know, just the little nods here and there to the whole franchise, um, uh, the naming the place of Yorktown and all that kind of stuff just w- was really done beautifully, I thought, and uh, – Unfortunately, it just didn't it didn't go anywhere, and we we really didn't get anything. Now, for Into Darkness, there were a little bit of, um, you know, there was a line of these um, creos that they they were called. So for for people who like Star Trek Into Darkness and want to get some physical kind of like toy uh, from it, um, the creo line does have uh, some of the they do have like John Harrison and things like that in the Creo line, which are kind of like Legos. And, um, there were also, um, these sort of little, um, these little toys that were made. They were very, very small kind of micro micro type of toys. And those had some, some of those in there as well. But, uh, there really wasn't, there really was nothing where we would say traditionally like an action figure or anything like that. Mm, Yeah. Beyond did get, a Funko pop line, which is 
really <laughs> fun. It's, it's a great line. It's, I mean, I, I did like those a lot. Of course, it's very different than an action figure. I think right. those, those are more like those are more like a for your desk. And those are like thing, the, they're the most mainstream toy these days. You know, it's just like any. It's it's amazing to me how many intellectual properties have some Funko Pops, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think you know part of the reason also with Star Trek Beyond is just the reality of where toys are today and where which is why like we have a Star Trek show on TV right now I'm very hopeful that the second season of Discovery looks I mean I thought that these Star Trek shorts have been wonderful um, and I and I and and you know I have some I have some concerns I, there were things I did not like about the first season of Discovery um, and but I I'm hopeful that they've clear you know it's not unusual for first seasons of Star Trek shows for you to look at them and go <laughs> really why what <laughs> you know it's not there, there's growing pains right so I'm hopeful that what my concerns were which other fans may not share with me but but that my concerns I'm hopeful that those those concerns are addressed in season two they they certainly have been in the shorts which i thought were beautiful Mm -hmm. but it's telling that you have really some amazing designs some beautiful characters uh saru things like that and there's no figures really um and they're supposed to be and they're supposedly coming but it's it's very different right had if this was 19 uh if this was 1989 uh, and uh, it's, we're going in, you know, 1988, 1989, and we're going into the second season of Next Gen. Um, you would have a full, you would be walking into a toy store if they, you know, they don't even exist anymore. Uh, but you'd walk <laughs> know, into right? a toy store, you know, you go into a toy store, you walk into a retail store, and there would be a shelf of Star Trek Discovery, a full line of, you know, eight or ten action figures with Michael and Saru and, you know, a Klingon and mm-hmm. and, and so all, all the different set. shades of color Klingons as well, right? Yeah, and right and so and what do we have right now? We we don't have any really any toys beyond these sort of uh the there's a few of those kind of like uh small blind what they call them the blind packaging, you know, where you kind of go in and you 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 open up the package and you look in there and you see from Titan, you know, and you see what, what figure you got. And it's sort of, uh, oh, like fun. Loot, it's, loot those, crate those, or gotcha. Yeah. Those, those are kind of fun. Those are fun items because they're, they're meant to, you know, you, it's sort of like gambling, like, Oh, what am I going to get? You know? And, uh, and I, and I have, I have some of those and they're nice, but that's really the only, you know, and I think little, you know, particularly because if Star Trek is about, partially about representation and you know so if there is a younger person you know um i don't know how young i would let someone watch discovery to tell you the truth <laughs> yeah, but exactly. <laughs> it, 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 yeah it's a little different but i think you know if if you have a younger person whose role model is michael or whose role model is stamets or saru or or whoever um, if you have a young person who's a role model as Lorco, maybe they might not have talked to the kid a little bit more. But um, if they have a if they have a, a role model on that show, there's no there's nothing. I mean, they're, 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 it's starting a little bit. You're starting to see some busts come out and things like that. But um, there's nothing to spark imagine, imagination and play really. Uh, but I think the reality is with kids today. Uh, but you know, kids are what we make them, right? So part of it is if kids are really interested in the technology, it's because that's what we as parents give them. And, um, I, I, I see toy lines, old fashioned toy lines trying to survive by somehow blending the world of the technology. Um, and, uh, um, uh, 
you old know, school play. The, yeah, so you're getting things like um, the Star Star Wars has the the sort of the the, the figures where the the figures talk. You know, right. so you 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 put them you know in a, in a much more sophisticated way than than the you know the playmates line where you press the back <laughs> and the figure might have said two or three lines. You know, these are pretty interactive things where you're you're using an app along with your action figure, and that's kind of an attempt to bridge these two in a way these two worlds where you have, you know, things like Star Trek online or just where you can really immerse yourself and kids can be very imaginative um, with video games. I've got nothing against them. And I think that, you know, it's basically you're the director of your own movie um, and in a video game, you know, and so, but there is a passive element to it only because no matter how sophisticated the game is, you are within the parameters of the game. Whereas with an action figure, like you were saying, if I want, like, so with Star Trek Online, no matter how imaginative I am, I can't make Star Trek Online ships battle Star Wars ships. Right. Uh, but I can do that with my toys. And so, um, you know, old-fashioned toys are always a little bit more imaginative. So, I, you know, I think the Funko Pop line, what is appealing about them, I mean, there's everything. I mean, there's Godfather ones. I mean, there's everything. There's even um, Smallville ones out there, folks, which is my favorite. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, and and it's great because they're bringing back, you know, lines that, you know, you would think, well, why are they doing this line, you know, now, you know, but there's, you know, there's also always nostalgia, right? There's 20 year nostalgia. And believe it or not, we're coming close to the 20 year nostalgia for Smallville. It's only three, three, right? Two more years. Yeah, I 2001 think. was the launch. Hit, yes. Yeah. So we hit, we hit the, the 20 year nostalgia wave very close, very soon. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Funko pop line, they're, they're fun, they're diverse. Um, and they're really, they're kind of a, a nice item. You could buy someone, they could put it on their shelf and, you know, that, so they did do a great, I, I really liked the Star Trek Beyond ones. And I, you know, I, I sought out, there were a couple of, um, exclusives that GameStop had, uh, and I sought it, those out. So it's they had, tough. I have to they, be very selective with Funko pops, John, cause it's like, you could, you could, fall down that rabbit hole so quickly you know and just be they're like like beanie babies right they're like the beanie babies of the 21st yeah, century yeah and, just piles and, and, and that's it yeah and that shouldn't be overlooked i mean they are cute right so there, there's an element of cuteness to them so they appeal to everyone and then there's also an element of coolness to them because you know making crawl cute is kind of cool yeah <laughs> so there's it's a really smart uh, a, a great line, you know, uh, and, and, a, and a kid, if they do they want to, a kid could play with them in a traditional action figure sense, yeah. you know? Um, well, but, that's, that's uh, great. This came up because that's, that's what I wanted to close out with. I kind of want to ask you your take and, and we're kind of talking about already, but like collectability versus playability, you know, because I think that the, there was a certain charm for the old toys back in the day. Like we're talking about how, how goofy and, and ridiculous some of these old toys are, but they're so mm-hmm. highly valued and collectible now because they were just so unique. Uh, and now we've kind of like come kind of full circle where it's like you had a bunch of like durable, accurate, but playable figures. But now we're kind of going to like the the collector's case figures and the ones you, oh, no, you don't want to take that out of the package or I'm going to display this on my desk. I'm not going to like play with it as a kid. And, and as you were saying, there, there's not you don't go. There are no more toy stores anymore, unfortunately, for the most part. And you don't go and see the the massive displays as you did back in the day. And, and, and I don't know. Have, have we lost something in our in our, you know, play as a society with this or what's your take on that yeah you know it's it's uh it's it's funny i you know if you were to go back you know 50 years 
ago, 60 years ago, uh, 100 years ago, and tell adults that, that there would be toys for them, they would probably go, oh. But, you know, adults <laughs> have always had, uh, adults have always had toys. Um, you know, uh, card games, poker is a, it's 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 a it's a bo- it's a like a board game. I mean, it's uh, people when you buy cars, those are you know, if you're buying a car for anything other than uh, you know transportation, it's it's a it's a toy. It's a very expensive toy. Um, so adults have always had toys, but uh, you know, thinking of toys in a traditional sense, there was the idea that you know you people just didn't have the money, you know. And our lives were very, very different. And you go back to immigrants coming over, they're not bringing toy collections with them, right? Uh, <laughs> certainly not the adults. And, and, and so it's kind of a sort of a new phenomenon, this idea. And, and in some ways, having adults in, the, adults in that world um, has radically altered it, but it's also, I think, saved it. Because I, don't, I think without adult collectors, I don't know that there would be toy lines anymore because I, you know uh, I'm, I'm sure many parents are seeing this but I get to I'm, I'm fortunate uh, my wife and I being sociology uh, teachers we get to see we, we interact a lot with 18 19 20 21 year olds that's the main students we have some adult students who are older than that but most of our students are you know they were in high school a few years ago so we we, we always get to kind of keep uh, an, a, a, an idea of what's going on with youth culture, you know, and they are screen, um, they are screen addicted. Hmm. And, and I mean that, I mean, I don't use that term lightly. Uh, and, and, and it's, that's not a denigration. I, I love my students, but um, just as a point of comparison, when I first started teaching, uh, this is my 23rd year teaching. When I first started teaching, I had to every class, have pe- I, I used to come up with like funny ways to do it so I didn't sound like a jerk. So I would do things like, hey, the show's up here. You know, you had to settle the class down yeah. at the start of class in college, you know, because people would come in, they'd chit chat with each other, they talked, they were in their conversations, which was great because I would talk to them, they would talk to each other, and that, that built up an energy uh, within the classroom. And then, but then, of course, you had to settle down, and then I was time to start and get going. I never have to settle down. And I mean, never. The students do not talk to one another. Mm. They are all on their individual devices. And it, the college is now, when you walk around the college, it's like Quiet. walking around. It, 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 yeah, it's like walking around a funeral. I, where yeah. it used to be a place, there used to be, we used to have meetings about, like, there were students that they had debates and they'd be yelling and screaming about, you know, and it, you know about stuff like, you know, movies and TV shows. And they'd be doing <laughs> it. And you're and you have to go out in the hallway and tell them to be quiet. There's nothing. I mean, everyone is on their screen. We've and all by, been assimilated, way, John. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and the schools are being, you know, when we go and we travel to schools and we look at other schools, they're all being designed that way. So there aren't community spaces. They're all individual, like, Apple tables. Hmm. You know, they're all they're all meant for them not to interact with each other. And so they are very screen connected and you know i'm sure they made the same complaint about my generation with tv but they are very very screen connected and that's their play so when you ask them sort of what toys did you grow up with it's not toys they grew up with video games and they grew up with the internet and youtube i mean youtube is when you ask like what is your hobby i get youtube as the answer <laughs> so it that 
I, they're not buying toys. The kids, kids are not playing with them. And if they are, they have to have an electronic component or a connection to electronic components. And so that, that is, I think, a, a reality for toy companies to face, and which is why they're trying to bring electronic elements into their toys or create toys like the Vector robot and the Cosmo, things like that, that literally are toys but are also robots and computers at the same time. And so I think th that without adult collectors, I don't know that we would be seeing traditional toys as much and as extensively um, beyond maybe generic dolls and things like that. So uh, on the one hand, that's good. On the other hand, the bad, the bad element I think of having where collectibles are more important than the playability factor is we're never going to recapture those kids. So, I mean, you know, I love the diamond select line, but the, for a little kid, a five-year-old, I would think it's just physically difficult to play with those toys. Well, and they're so complicated. Because, it's like there's seven different hands and two heads and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, the articulation. I mean, it's so from a collector's point of view, I look at it and I go, "My God, that's the greatest figure <laughs> right. ever!" The, like, like, the, like the McFarland toys, right? The McFarland toys are the, the, the they came out with a Kirk and a Picard. The, I mean, Picard is uh, it's literally like to me anyway, to my eyes when I look at it, it's like they took Patrick Stewart and shrunk him down <laughs> to that size, and he is literally standing on my desk. They are so beautifully done, and. And but you know they're they're for a little kid's hands. I don't know. You know you can't you can't have as much sort of playability with them because they are meant to be more like kept in the package. That you know. Well, I remember so, you know when I was a kid, I would always worry about losing like Jordy's visor or something, right? And so like with these yeah. kind of toys, I'm like ah, the, the, I don't want to lose like the hand with the phaser because the other hand has the tricorder in it. There's so many combinations of these new ones as well, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of little parts and things. I mean, they even say on some of the packages, not intended for, you know, not a, not a toy, which I think is hilarious. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, it is, it's a toy. Right. So, um, but, uh, you know, the I, I think that's necessary or else I don't think we would get anything. So I think, um, you know, there's a, I, I think goodness that there is adult collectors at the same time to play to that sensibility means we can't get stuff as quick. So I'm still, you know, if, if I'm a, if I'm a kid and I want discovery toys, I want a Saru action figure, I'm still twiddling my thumbs <laughs> waiting for it. And, you know, and in today's world in popular culture, if a kid is twiddling their thumbs, forget it. Because it's not like when I was, when I was a kid, you could go and get, a, if you, if, a, if you didn't get the star Wars figure, the month it came out, that was okay because you could go get it six months later and the figure was still being produced, still being sold. That is not the world of toys today. So if you don't get it right when it comes out, then you're doing eBay searches or you got to go online to try to find a toy. Um, and so it's even just difficult to kind of get them. I mean, as a parent, it's difficult to find toys. So I think all that's kind of combining to get us to the situation where we're in now, where, you know, I, I would, I would love to see a full line of, of, um, you know, whatever the next Star Trek film is. Now, again, the other thing I think that's happening with Star Trek is it's starting to skew towards an adult market. Mm -hmm. Less family and fair, more hardcore. Yeah. I mean, there's no, the, the messages of discovery about tolerance and acceptance, and that's all, Star Trek, but 
there has never been nudity in Star Trek before at, at that level. There's been scenes. I mean, there was. I mean, does, Nemesis had a, a, a you know a mind version of an assault. I mean, a mm-hmm. sexual assault. So it was. There were serious themes before in Star Trek, um, but they never showed nudity before. They never showed. I mean, the, the, the violence on Discovery is graphic to a point that takes it much beyond, I think, any other violence that we've seen in Star Trek, which there have been, you know, there have been episodes of next gen and things like that, where you look at it and you're like, Oh my goodness, the guy's head exploding. Yes, and, yes, you know, exactly. and, and there, there yeah. has been, there, it has been there. It's not like it's unheard of in Star Trek, but it's pretty consistent on discovery. And it's, uh, there's also, there was a darkness to the whole season yeah. by, 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 by its nature, I think, because of what it was eventually about, which was really, it was a story about the mirror universe and, and war. So, um, but, uh, as Star Trek skews more towards the adult side of things and, uh, you're going to lose that toy element, I think, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an excellent and, point. I, you know, I didn't didn't expect to go here with this conversation, but what that just kind of what what are your thoughts on this as a sociologist and a toy collector, right? It amazes me because this was slightly before my time, not Star Trek, right? But why were hard R action franchises marketing themselves to kids in the late '80s, <laughs> like RoboCop, oh, Terminator, Predator, yeah. Aliens? I never yeah. understood that. What what's the deal yeah. there, John? You know, it's I, the, the, I, I, the, my favorite story of this actually goes back to the 70s. So when I was a kid, Saturday Night Fever came out, right? Okay. And, you know, it set off this big craze uh, uh, for disco dancing and leisure suits and, you know, and, and the, the white suit and all that kind of stuff, right? The Bee Gees and all that. And what I never realized as a kid is when my parents took me to see Saturday Night Fever, they took me to see the PG version. So they released... They released two versions at oh, like, his like theaters De- at like the same Deadpool. Time. <laughs> yeah, there was it's there was back a, and it was a, yeah, and and you and you got to choose. So you either went to see the R-rated version or the PG version. So the the funny but also <laughs> frightening story ver, uh, that this leads to that's kind of funny is um, when I was first a teacher, I was teaching at DePaul, and um, I wanted to do a charity event, and so I I used to do film charity events i would show a film like blade runner and we would talk about it and then we would raise you know people would the the the, you know you'd give cans or something like that as your entry fee and then we would donate it to charities that kind of thing so i figured hey the children's miracle network right we're going to raise raise a a charity event for them (laughs) we're going to do saturday night fever you know and i got permission from the, the 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 children's miracle network to use their logo. And we, you know, we really did it as, well, I never realized there was a PGN in our version. So I got the video, I got the, you know, we, we licensed the rights to show it and we got the videotape. So I, I decided to screen the videotape at home only to make sure the tape worked. Right. Cause Ooh. I didn't want to bring it there. And I'm watching this thing going like, Oh my God. Like I, this I've never seen. There was racial and ethnic slurs. There was a horrible scene of sexual violence. I mean, I'm like, wait a second, what is this? So I did a little research, and I so I quickly went out and got the PG version of the film. Mm-hmm. But you know, so you get something like Terminator, right? Which, which is this you know horribly violent uh, film thing, and yet there's toys, you know, and and RoboCop, and there's toys, and that, that you know what you start seeing in the '80s, I think, is the beginning of the realization that there were adult collectors. So although those kit those toys 
were made with four kids, right? Because there were they were toyetic, right? I mean, the Terminator's toyetic, RoboCop is toyetic. Remove it from the film, and it, it, even if the film didn't exist, RoboCop is a cool concept. Like, like right? RoboCop, the animated series. <laughs> exactly, and so. What they what they realized, I think, was that there were two markets out there. And so you could hit the adult market with sort of the R rated or PG thirteen or, you know, that kind of world. And then you could hit the kid market by doing a kid friendly version, i.e. the Rambo animated show. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you could hit both worlds and then the toy line could be not the toy line's not from the R rated thing, it's from the kitty cartoon version mm-hmm. of it. But what you do start to see is I mean, you know, you know, before there was, they, they call it Game of Throning, you know, uh, uh, in pop culture studies where, you know, you just, in, you know, it's ratcheted up the violence and the sex and things like that within a show. Um, and yet it can still be mainstream. Uh, that was sort of the beginning of that, where you, you have that, where, okay, you can have a toy line and, you know, uh, you know, restaurants will run meal, you know, meal packages. No, it was just always like fascinating that. to me. It's like, I, I cannot legally see this for, for 10 more years, but they want me to go buy this toy. So, <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, but I think the idea too, is you started to have the breakdown. I mean, you know, you had, that was around the era where, you know, you get the PG 13. Yeah. That was new. That was just a few years old at that point with Temple of Doom in 84. Yeah. 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 So you get, you know, which I always loved that apocryphal or not, you know, sort of like, I don't make our rated films, so change the rating. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll make a new rating for you. Um, I don't know how true that is. But uh, so, um, but, you know, Star Trek is, is certainly, I think, the, and I don't know if, I, it'll be interesting to see what course they take this season uh, with, they have new, you know, sort of new showrunners. Right. And uh, it, to that, I mean, well, let's just say there are some showrunners who aren't there, not necessarily new showrunners. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see whether it skews more towards sort of the older type of Star Trek with a little bit more of modern sensibility or if it skews a little more towards Game of Thrones, which is really what the first season was. I mean, even the design elements of it, I thought. Yeah, the Klingons uh, especially. Yeah, it was very skewed in that direction. But now it appears like, oh, well, wait, we're going to put the hair back and we're going to go back to... I, I feel like it, I, I'm, I'm approaching season two with a blank slate and an open mind, but I feel like they, they seem to be overcompensating. At this, you know, now we're just talking Star Trek now, but it's like, hey guys, like when Discovery first came out, it was like, this isn't your father's Star Trek, it's hardcore. And now it's like, oh hey guys, you like Spock and the Enterprise and Pike? Come check it out, we got it all back. <laughs> so it's like, there's there's a middle there's a middle well, ground yeah. to be found there, I think, and they don't need to keep swinging yeah. I mean, the pendulum I think you know you you can take. I think DS Nine is probably the best example, mm-hmm. right? So DS Nine was um, very different, yet not. And I think that that's kind of what Star Trek always should be. There, I mean, the nice thing is I can always go back. I don't mind if Star Trek is different. Um, I always hope that it speaks to me. And it's very, it would be very difficult for Star Trek not, not to speak to me because I love it with such a passion that literally I am one of those people who if they if they produced a Star Trek where it's like Shatner and he's just sitting there and he's looking at me and he, there's nothing. That's all it is. I would be like, that is phenomenal. It's Star Trek, right? Because because I think even at its worst, because of what Star Trek is in, in, and what it represents, it's almost always better than the best of most other things. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I you know, and, and Star Trek really is. I mean, everything, I, I, almost everything that comes after it is an imitation. And so um, uh, it, it really is, I think, you know, special. And so I. 
you know, I was I was concerned about you know. No, I, I thought season one was a bit confused. I think that borne out by its making of history and story. You know, um, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't. Although I, I went, we went to Las Vegas this year, and I came away with a very strong appreciation for the costume designers of Discovery and uh, and the, the set designers and uh, just the behind the scenes people that I, I did see there the real love and affection they have for Star Trek. And, and, and that, that gave me some hope, but I also do mm-hmm. think you still have really creative and energetic, um, people like Doug Drexler and like, um, Mike Akuda and Denise Akuda and Herman Zimmerman who are still there. And although you, I understand the idea of wanting to bring in new people or things like that, but, but also to honor that. And I, and I get the whole thing of, can you do, can you do, can you do Star Trek? I mean, that's sort of the argument. Can you do Star Trek as it was done in the next gen era on TV today? And the answer is always no. But then I say, well, I don't know. Look at Orville, right? <laughs> so I, I it, 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 and I think that some of Star, I don't know. I think this is just me speaking as a fan, um, uh, totally on the outside. I think there is going to be a shift, partially as a reaction to Orville. Well, Picard is um, coming, so yeah, and I think. And I think what we're and what we're and 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 I think it's okay. I think every new Star Trek that comes out should be its own thing, because otherwise I could just go back and watch the originals. I, do, I don't need to have I don't need to have another version of Trouble with Tribbles. I have you know two already good versions of well, three <laughs> if you count the animated show. <laughs> right. I, I, we've had the Tribbles. I get it right. Um, so I, I like it, but but I think Deep Space Nine hit that right chord where it was like it was different enough yet still at its heart and core kept the values of 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 what Star Trek is. Although I don't I don't ever pretend to speak to I can only speak to what Star Trek is for me because for other you know for other people Star Trek the values of what Star Trek is means something else. But for me, I've seen a consistency. Uh, in my interpretation of Star Trek over the years, and I think it was it was there in moments in Discovery, uh, but it wasn't there as much as it should have been. And I don't know how much of that was the confusion of the making of it, um, the loss of the the shift in the middle, and the loss of the the, the showrunner. Um, you know, I don't, I don't. You know, you see Nicholas Meyer's name on there, and he had says recently he didn't contribute as much as people I think think he did mm-hmm. uh, to it. Um, but yet his name was there and it was kind of like that, you know, it, I think it was confused and I hope that they've sort of sorted out that confusion. Um, because I think like Stamets and Saru, I think you could pick those two characters up and you could plop them in any version of Star Trek and they work. I can see that. Because they are really good characters. They are really good, and they're really good Star Trek characters. Um, cause I think Stamets who comes across in the beginning as, uh, as a very, um, you know, you're just like, who is this? He's sort of fighting. <laughs> he, he's the guy watching Star Trek going, what is this? Right. And we, we don't understand that because we don't understand who Lorca is and what Discovery is and the mirrors, the element and all that of it now. But as you see him develop through the show, you realize, well, he is, he is that traditional Star Trek voice, you know, and so is Saru. Um, so I'm kind of hopeful that they kind of get back. And, and, and that also brings me back to the toys, which is I'm hopeful that, you know, I would love to see, because uh, those costumes are nice. The, the, I mean, the Pike costume is, the Pike costume is beautiful. 
And I think if you lay, if you lay the original Star Trek costume and you lay, uh, um, uh, enterprise, um, you, you put enterprise, you take the costume, you put enterprise next to the discovery outfits next to Pike's outfits next to Kirk's outfit from TOS. You, there is actually a believable line lineage in those costumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes total sense. And there's a brilliance to that, that they're not hitting you over the head with it going like, you see, this is, I mean, I, I like that. And so, um, I'd love to see action figures in the discovery costume line and, and toys. And, and I know McFarlane has the license, but I'm, I'm still sitting here waiting (laughs) and I, and I hope that they, they, they come out, but I'd love to see the day when it's more than just Kirk and Picard. I want, I should be able to have the whole crew all at the same time. Although in the world of Star Trek Discovery, I don't know what the crew, who the crew is. <laughs> that's a very that's, good point. <laughs> that's one of the problems, right? right. We don't, we, we, we don't really know the bridge crew yet. We know they're kind of cool characters and the actors are really good. Um, uh, but I don't really, we don't really know them. And, we never got to see a lot of the ship and we don't know who, what people's functions are. And as you know, Stamets wasn't really, it wasn't even the chief engineer supposedly. And so who was the chief engineer, you know, I mean, what, so, uh, you know, it, it was, um, it's, it's very different, but I would love to see a line. I would like to see Michael and Saru and I would love to see them as toys. Well, that's great. Bringing it all back there, John. So, yeah. so, so the close out, John, where can people find you out there? Can we expect you to have a, a, another appearance on the toys that made us? Maybe talking Planet of the Apes. Is there a season three coming? Maybe do you know? They are. They are making more uh, toys that made us, um, and um, uh, I can't say anything about anything. But uh, you may be seeing me on something that's related to that. Okay. Um, uh, that has not to do with toys, but something else. And okay. um, my wife and I are going to be in a new documentary that's coming out soon um, about Toys R Us. Uh, and the close the closings of Toys R Us, but they're actually waiting to see what happens because maybe there may be a future for Toys R Us. We're waiting to see, right? We're all waiting with with bated breath of what's going to happen. I I, I um, saw that. I saw I saw the Genesis wave might be sweeping over Toys R Us. We'll see. Yeah, it might be, it might be coming back. So <laughs> um, I think they're holding off on releasing it to because they don't have an ending, you know, for this documentary. They thought they had an ending, uh, but it's going to be called Saving uh, uh, Saying Goodbye to Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be an Amazon um, Prime. Uh, it's going to be on Amazon Prime, I believe. Great. Uh, and um, uh, we filmed that a while ago uh, at the close of Toys R Us. We talked a lot about sort of toys and the changing toy market. Um, and um, uh, so I'm looking, we're looking forward to that. So I, re- uh, I really hope Toys R Us comes back because, you know, it didn't really hit me until I saw, first of all, that picture of like the guy in the Jeffrey costume and the empty shelves. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is so sad. And then also my mom mm-hmm. told me, she was like, you're never going to be able to take your kids to Toys R Us. I was like, Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> like that's when it really hit me. Like, Oh no, this is an American institution. I want to come back. Yeah. You know, I, I, when, when we were, when we were filming the documentary, I was thinking about what made it, what made it, what it was, you know? And I think when you're a kid and you go to a, when your mom and dad took you to, you know, a regular retail Sears or something like that, a place that had toys, but like it wasn't its predominant, it wasn't its only purpose. You know, as a kid, you went there, you went to the toy aisle, right? You left your mom and dad and they did their shopping. You ran over the toy aisle or whatever. You dragged your mom and dad. And maybe you could convince them, you know, that you needed that R5D4 or <laughs> the new, you know, 
you need that Picard figure, you need it, you know, and you got to have it. And, you know, but they weren't there for that. They were there to get you shoes or they were there to go, you know, they were there for clothes or something like that. And when you're a kid, your parents take you to Toys R Us. There's only one reason and one reason only. And you were getting the toy. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the only either you were getting it for yourself or someone else. But You're that's the only purpose. Yeah. And so it was always, you know, that's what I think is the downside of toys also today. And I don't know. It, it doesn't necessarily play a role in the, the lack of sales. But, you know, I, when I think of like my Star Trek toys and I think of I, there's a story behind every toy that I went and bought at a store. I can remember. You know, I can tell the story of my mom going to the bargain basement at, at, and, and getting me the, the Mego Enterprise set. I can remember when I first saw, I remember being in the Toys R Us when I first saw the Playmates line and then realizing there were numbers on the foot and sitting there trying to see, could I match up any numbers, you know, which was a complete impossibility <laughs> uh, unless you bought it on, like QVC used to sell it where you got all the numbers, you know, all the same numbers. But there was just like, you know, there's no way you were getting that lucky. And, and there were always stories. So it was, there was an experience, you know, I, I, we've always done like the midnight toy openings. Um, when, when there's been a release date for Star Trek toys, we go on the day that they come out. You know, I remember when Enterprise toys came out in 2001 and how exciting it was to go to Toys R Us and to see, do they have them? And there they are. And they're all on the shelf and you don't have that online. There's no there's really like no emotional it's 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 only pure commerce online you just shop it and that's it there's no adventure there is no community there's no doing that with your mom or dad um there's no memory associated with it and that to me is the biggest loss of toys r us is not being able to say i remember that experience but rather now toys just become i'll I mean, I'm just thinking uh, another, another franchise, but they're going to, you know, have another Force Friday, I would imagine, for the next Star Wars film. Well, where do you go? Hmm. You know, we used to go to Toys R Us, and are we just going to do it online now? Yeah. And you know, I just it's it's um, and no matter how much some of these other retailers try to compensate, unless a Target or a Walmart turns over half their store to toys. <laughs> It's not the same. It's not the same thing. It's still where that's only one element of what they do, and and so we need we need a place like Toys R Us, and 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 that's a you know from from a marketing point of view, so do movies. I mean, they need a place like that where you can walk in. I remember walking in with Star Trek 2009, and I have the I still have my pictures of that where. Uh, we walked into Toys R Us in 2009 and there was the biggest enterprise I've ever seen because they had a whole front of the store with Star Trek 2009 toys wow. with it all dedicated to that. And you don't, you know, that you can't buy that kind of advertising. I mean, they did, but you, you can't buy that. And also, <laughs> you know, that experience, that fun of taking our son there when he was, you know, he was only um, seven when the first of the J.J. Abrams films came out and to take him there and to buy him the toys and for him to have what I had when I was a kid, you miss that generational aspect of it. All right, John. Well, it has been amazing talking to you about Star Trek, toys, everything in between on this supersized Christmas edition of Standard Orbit. And if you, the listeners, want to hear us talk more toys on Standard Orbit, you can go all the way back to Standard Orbit 152 with rolling action and hear me and Ken talk about the original series toys 
as well. So, the toys of Star Trek aren't the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. Here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I just want to sing. After every time I hear the title of this book, I want to sing, A Time for War, A Time for Peace. <laughs> funny, funny story, when, when this was being pitched at the sales con- in the sales meeting uh, at Simon & Schuster, somebody on the sales force was, was worried that, we, that they'd have to get permission to use the titles. Cause, cause it's a song by the birds, and 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 John Order over the editor had to gently point out that it was actually from the Bible, and therefore kind of <laughs> melodic tricks. You know, I suppose as being an actor, you know, I just was really kind of feeling into Clive's character, okay. and and trying to express the emotion of what I felt like he was going through on the Sarangi. Mm-hmm. So then it became much more of a personal individual character it was how i experienced doing it the 602 club but i look at this film as being almost three maybe four different films because when we're in krypton krypton it's very sci-fi oh, you mean excuse me krypton yeah you mean we, we krypton. Were on krypton i'm yeah. sorry marla krypton, krypton. <laughs> so when we're in krypton <laughs> krypton uh, it's very much a science fiction movie. Next thing, all of a sudden, we have Kal-El come to Earth, and now it feels very Norman Rockwell. I mean, it's almost like, I mean, totally different from what we just saw on Krypton or Krypton. To the journey! Brace for impact. Brace for impact, <laughs> yes. Okay, if, uh, I, I, I'm going to make a commitment to myself right now. If I am ever perishing in a plane crash, I am going to say brace for impact right before I die. To everyone on the plane. I will Brace somehow for hear it across the miles. It'll be very dramatic, you know, with some dramatic theme music playing, hopefully, just like we have in Voyager here this episode. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trekfm and click Discussion on the menu bar. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you as always to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, 
Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs, you can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D. Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your Trek. <laughs> yes, and use the hashtag TrekTuesday. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.